I'm Emily Williams, and this is Understand South Carolina, a weekly podcast from the Post and Courier. The largest university in the state of South Carolina is searching for its next leader. Back in June, we talked on this podcast about how the University of South Carolina was in need of a new president after its last president, Bob Caslin, stepped down amid some controversy. About a week ago, it looked like the university's presidential search process could have been coming to a close. The search committee had a preferred candidate who was expected to visit the university this week. But shortly after the Post and Courier reported who that candidate was, he withdrew from the process. So the question now is, what happens next? Today, we're going to be talking with Andy Shane, who heads the Post and Courier's Columbia Bureau, about this search process, what's happened so far, and what could happen next. We recorded this conversation the morning of Thursday, December 9th. Depending on when you listen to this, things may have changed since then. So as always, check postandcareer.com for the latest. All right, let's get to it. Let's dial things back to a little bit earlier this year. We talked on this podcast about the previous president's departure. Let's talk a little bit about the controversy that happened in May of this year that led to his departure. Everything is in this search is colored by the hiring and the tenure of Bob Caslin. Caslin was a, a three-star Army general. He was a combat veteran. He was in the Pentagon during 9-11, uh, had, had risen to the point where he was leading West Point, was very popular uh, at West Point. He wanted to transition to, uh, obviously, a, a non-military school, thought that, of course, uh, both the leadership of the university as well as General Caslin himself thought, you know, here is someone who can bring a different look. Uh, a different perspective uh, to the job. And the search uh, was a little, it was sort of fits and and starts. There were four finalists. Uh, At first, the board didn't pick any of the finalists because there was sort of an outrage on campus about General Caslin becoming the president. And then uh, essentially with the help of Henry McMaster, sort of kickstarting the effort again, there was an effort to go ahead and at least give Bob Caslin a vote. And he was uh, elected as president, but on a split vote, a very rare thing uh, among the USC board in a very contentious meeting. And that's how things started. Soon into it, of course, the pandemic happened. Being a general, being someone in the army, being someone who's very organized, he was able to very quickly sort of assess the situation. Eventually, USC came up with a plan to reopen the school the next fall as the uh, pandemic was ebbing and trying to figure out a way to get students tested, to get quarantined and so forth. And again, it was seen as a success. He also was sort of praised for diversity. He added diversity to to his leadership team that had been lacking in the past. He wanted to push efforts to diversify the campus, to make campus more affordable, more accessible through uh, lower costs or uh, through online programs. And again, there was just a perception um, among a, a large group of people in the university that he was doing, he was moving in the right direction, doing the right things, despite some missteps that he made along the way. And still he had his critics, people, again, who were not happy about, again, not having a traditional academic in the role. Everything came to a head in May. Two things happened on commencement weekend. First of all, he, by accident, at the end of a commencement ceremony, accidentally called the school the University of California. And then it was learned a couple of days later that he had plagiarized a a part of his commencement speech from uh, Admiral McGraven, who led the Navy SEAL mission that that got Osama bin Laden. He withstood it for a few days, apologized profusely. But behind the scenes, as we learned later from emails, he was fuming. He even said to a fellow president uh, in these emails that, that this place sucks so bad. But during that week, 
essentially as many people who were coming out saying you can you can survive this this is you're a good man you've done a good thing there were critics out there saying this is an embarrassment it's time for him to go and eventually about uh, four days after his gaffe he, he ended up resigning more or less just uh, sort of lost the support i think of the board i think there was it was going to be a bad issue for the school if he had kind of stuck around at that point with that there's an opening the search really got going in the summer so USC was able to get a good jump on it with the idea being that with the interim president, they brought back Harris Pastides for a year, they could find a successor to, to Bob Caslin and have a whole, basically a whole academic year to do it. And the plan was to have possibly have a new president in place by the end of this, uh, this calendar year. So the idea was that this person could transition, they could work with President Pastides, they could work with the board and be rocking and ready to go come July 1st, 2022. Bob Caslin did... You mentioned this a little bit, what we learned through emails, but he also did talk a little bit more about that experience of being president of the University of South Carolina after resigning. What did he share? What did he say? What kind of picture did he paint of his time at the university? A hostile, toxic environment is constant, the constant theme. I've never been any place as hostile as this. And think about it. This is someone who had been in the Army for 43 years, had been in combat zones, had, of course, moved all over the country. Uh, I had a 45-minute interview with him a few months after he left, after we got the emails to do it, and he didn't really back down from anything that he said during that time, during around the time when he made those gaffes during his commencement and then the days leading up to his resignation and even after. He was He's still very bitter about it. He had a lot of support and there were a lot of supportive emails and supportive messages that came his way. But I think he really listened to the few very vocal critics of him and couldn't really shake that. I I don't know why he wasn't able to shake those critics. Maybe he hadn't faced that kind of criticism before in the army. So he was very unhappy and essentially said that the next president ought to look at my experience and ought to think about that coming here. But again, he came in, in in a cloud of controversy He created a number of smaller controversies during his time on campus, as I said, as much as that he had some successes. He had some some missteps, including a year before uh, Will Muschamp was let go, suggesting that they were going to let go Will Muschamp, and that essentially uh, soured his relationship with the football coach, uh, as well as spat with Darla Moore, the top donor at the university, who um, was angry that the university failed to acknowledge the death of her mother, which People can go back and forth about what's appropriate, what's not. But when you have someone who's given more than $75 million to the school, the business school is named after her. This is kind of the dotting I's and crossing T's that you expect uh, from a university. And she was not very pleased with that. I think I believe if I was to call him today, he'd still be very bitter about his time and saying that, again, his successor really needs to analyze how he was treated in deciding whether or not to come to Columbia. Right. And one of the direct quotes from him was that this was the biggest regret of his life. Those are pretty strong words there. And if he had to ever do it over again, he wouldn't. I mean, it was, I was shocked, um, to say the least, when he said it, but he did. And at least he was being honest and, and, and all of that. I think that's the other thing is that he was always sort of forthright. And of course, he's saying those words and those are being reported in the Post and Career at the time that this search is going on. Did the university have anything to say at that time about how... Those kind of statements, you know, the biggest regret of my life, could impact the search that they're in the middle of. They didn't say anything publicly. Privately, I was told that, of course, nobody was very happy about that. It does not help uh, in the search to have the former president basically criticize the school as vehemently as he did both. As I said, even just the idea that we revealed in the emails how, how mad he was 
let alone the fact that, of course, he repeated them months later. That said, I think there was a feeling that Bob Caslin was Bob Caslin. He was a he was uh, as as one board member told me after he resigned, he was not a good fit for the school. And so I think that was a selling point that people could say was, look, we tried this thing with an army general, and it just didn't work. But you're not an army general; you're a you know a provost or a president or a dean. I, I think that the the selling point was you know essentially that they could say is that this was sort of a little bit of a square peg that we tried didn't work. We're moving on to the next next thing, and we're going to be a little more traditional about it. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about that. What are some of the specifics that they've laid out of what they're looking for in their next president? They put out a pro- profile. It's it's pretty straightforward. It's it, as I said. It's it's again that that academic background, that background in higher education. It's all those all those other abilities that a president needs to have to do everything from running a major uh, athletic program to fundraising, being able to have a constructive relationship with the faculty and the students, as well as, of course, you're someone who has to go basically uh, up the street to the state house and convince lawmakers to give you money for projects or to maybe stop a bill that you think will impact uh, how you teach things, uh, that kind of thing. So I think they basically built a profile of what people expect out of a college president. I don't think it was anything that you wouldn't. A lot of schools have tried non-traditional routes with college presidents, putting in former politicians or, or business executives. You know, we knew we had heard early on that, for instance, Mick Mulvaney, who was a former congressman in South Carolina, who was uh, the chief of staff at the at the White House under Donald Trump, was interested in the job. This was not going to be a Mick Mulvaney this time. They had tried that route and, and knew that they weren't going to go there. So again, a traditional academic who had sort of an it factor in these other forward-facing things that you needed to you need to do as a president, town gown relationships, you know, and all of that. Let's talk about the logistics of this search process. How does the search process work? You talked a little bit about the timeline that they're looking at. What does this process look like? Well, one of the things I think they discovered fairly early on was that there was a lot of competition. Um, COVID cleared out a lot of president's offices, and I think in part because it was that it was sort of two years built into one. And so anyone who was probably close to retiring or close to leaving left. So USC found itself in, in, a, in a bit of a competitive market for president, somebody as president. So I'm not surprised that they were trying to get somebody by the end of the calendar year considering they didn't essentially want the last puppy at the bowl. They hired a search firm. They hired a different search firm than they used for the Caslin hiring. They used the one that they've traditionally used in the past. And they took applications and then basically in November started winnowing down about more than 50 applicants. They took it down to 20, then ended up interviewing 11 in Atlanta. And then from that 11, they came out with five. But there's a but. They came up with five, but there was one they really, really liked. They called him a preferred candidate, kind of stuck out from the group. And so apparently they brought the five to campus. Four of them actually came to campus and one was virtual, but the board interviewed them behind closed doors. We didn't know it. They kind of phrased something about what they were going to do behind closed doors, like discuss the presidential search, but actually they brought in the candidates. It actually was really funny. This was in the Alumni Center in Columbia, and they moved the reporters to a different floor during the executive session, which is unique. Normally, they're just outside the doors. No, they actually physically moved them from the second floor to the first floor because obviously they didn't want them seeing uh, who was coming through the doors. The search committee had kind of said, there's this one candidate we really like, but we're not going to tell you who it is. Board, you talk to him and let's see if we come to the same conclusion. The board came to the same conclusion. There's this one candidate who stood out, who was the person we should target. Thad Westbrook, the vice chair of the board, 
told the faculty senate, we have a preferred candidate. We want to, to be ready to speak with them, trying to move quickly because this person is in high demand and we think we've got to move if we want to get this person. All of a sudden, that set off a lot of bells and whistles for folks who are covering USC, like myself. And I started making some phone calls and I started making some emails and texts and all the things that you do in reporting. And basically through a little bit of this and a little bit of that, I managed to figure out who the preferred candidate was and was able to publish a story this past Saturday um, saying it was Meng Chang, who is who was the engineering dean at Purdue. He's also the executive vice president for strategic initiatives and also is also heading up a new digital diplomacy uh, sort of think tank that Purdue was putting together. Clearly a rising star, 44, Stanford educated, just someone who is complete opposite of Bob Caslin, you know, an academic, young and again, had that pedigree most people on campus would expect. Essentially, he was the preferred candidate. There was a lot of positive reaction on social media about it. Hey, okay, this is what we were asked for. This is what we want. Looks good on paper. Look forward to meeting him. And he was supposed to actually come to campus today on December 9th. And what I understand actually that evening, so hours after our story published, he came to the search committee and said, because of family reasons, I am withdrawing. It was formally announced on Sunday. He put out a statement saying just because of family considerations, I've decided I want to stay at Purdue. You know, he was very gracious about how everybody was at uh, South Carolina. Uh, I tried to reach out to Dr. Chang directly. He sent me a statement again about it being about family. He didn't follow up. And now we don't know quite where the search is going. We'll be right back with more after this quick message. Hi, I'm Taylor Istabo, and I'm an audience engagement producer for The Post and Courier. Our digital team makes sure the paper's journalism gets to you through our newsletters, social media accounts, and website. We put a lot of thought into what tweet will communicate the most important information from a story, or might make you laugh. And we know the news. We're constantly monitoring the biggest stories of the day and figuring out how to get that information to you. When you subscribe, you're supporting that work. Visit postandcourier.com slash subscribe today. So all of that just happened within the last week. Clearly, they now do not have their preferred candidate as a possibility. So what do we know about what happens next at this point? The search committee's done an excellent job and the board has done an excellent job of really trying to keep this information inside a small group because they know... Columbia is Columbia. This is the state capital. This is where the you know where where all the uh, where the sausage gets made. And if you let some information out, especially around the state house, it's going to get around to, to various places. They have not clarified at all whether they are restarting the search or whether they are approaching one of the other four other candidates who are not deemed as preferred candidates, but certainly stuck out from the other applicants that they looked at. I've, we've heard various things, everything from. The other candidates bowed out when they weren't the favorite to that there's a couple that are still interested. Chatter is wide, but nothing confirmable yet. At some point, I think they're going to have to say fairly soon where they are in this process, whether they have some, someone they're targeting or whether, as I said, they're having to, to sort of reopen things and, and look more towards early next year and bringing someone in. It's also feasible this could happen. The, the board chairman, Dorn Smith, and the vice chairman, Thad Westbrook, who was heading up the presidential search, said in a message after Chang withdrew that while they would comply with the FOIA laws, which eventually says eventually they have to tell us who at least three of the finalists were after they've hired somebody, 
but they might not necessarily do all the public meetings that they normally do with a presidential candidate. In the past, USC has held forums with one candidate or multiple candidates for faculty, staff, students, the community to meet them. There was when during the Caslin, uh, at least the initial Caslin search, there were four finalists who came and did that. You know, you could kind of get to see everybody, kind of get, get to judge them. There were some folks who were upset that with the situation with Chang or the, at the point that preferred candidate, it was only going to be one person that everyone was going to get to see. I, I think the, the search committee was convinced that this was the candidate and that people would be impressed and would understand why they were uh, pushing ahead with that. The hard part for the search committee is there's pressures from the community and from the public to know who these people are and to gauge who they are because they're going to run this close to $2 billion operation. But on the other hand, there are candidates for the job who say, look, if I'm not going to get it, I don't want my name out there because I don't want people to know I didn't get it or to know that I've applied for it and make my employer or my constituents not happy with the idea that I'm kicking the tires on another job. And I guess in a weird sort of way, I would not be totally surprised after Chang's name got out, or at least that I, I broke the news about it, that they may just sit here and say, here's person X and we're about to vote on them as president. That's what some schools do, apparently. I could see a situation where they may just go straight to the hiring process. It also is feasible that they could, I think, more likely go with the single shot approach again. Here's candidate X. We're going to bring candidate X in for a day to meet everybody. And then probably at the end of the day, give them an up and down voter as president. So as long as they basically during the day don't say anything terrible, make everybody mad, or it's revealed something in their background, they're basically going to become the president. That's, I think, the way it's going to it's going to go at this point. But the idea is, is that going to happen in the next week or two, or is that going to happen in the next month or two? That's the nickel question. At this point, what is the Post and Courier, Columbia Bureau there looking out for? You know, what are what are the most important things that you're following with this story? What's what's the next thing to look for? Like anything else, we're looking for, for any signals that they're getting close to a decision or that they've reopened the search. As I said, uh, they've really clamped down since the weekend, since the name came out. They're not really providing much in the way of updates. I think that it's an interesting time, too, on campus. Right now, as we speak, it's finals week. In fact, it's the next to last day to finals. Next week is commencement then everybody goes home for Christmas. I think there's going to be a, a good chunk of the campus community that will not be happy if a president is chosen uh, before the end of the year when most of the campus is away. Bob Caslin was hired over the summer of 2019 when most of the campus was away. And so there's a feeling that this is sort of being done in the dark and on the side. But again, what the search committee will argue is that we need to move quickly. We need to try to get out the best candidate we can before another school snatches him or her away. So it's going to be interesting to see, as I said, one of these other four folks whose names were forwarded to the board still in play, still interested? Or again, do they have to go back into that pool of, you know, there were six people in it who made it to Atlanta, but didn't make it on to the final five? Are they out there? It's tough to say because as I said, they're keeping things very close to the vest at this point. But I think at some point they need to, I, I think they need to at least explain where they are in the process. I think if if we basically get to the new year without an announcement, without someone being vetted, then I think it suggests that this, that the search is having to be reopened. And the other thing, too, of course, is, is that the legislature may get involved. Uh, the legislature comes back into session in January. There are several bills that are uh, have been introduced to remake the USC board, and I think there is some unhappiness uh, with the USC board. I'll be curious to see if, if there's any um, momentum with that uh, once the session gets back in, especially if there is not a president in place. And that's the other reason why I think they want to try to move quickly, is they want to try to keep keep the legislature sort of out of this 
and uh, and otherwise end a potential sign of problems if if uh, if they haven't filled the job when the first gavel comes down in mid-January. All right, that's all for today. For more information about everything we've discussed today, I've linked a couple of stories in today's show notes where you can learn more. If you have comments, questions, or ideas for this podcast, email us at understandsc at postandcareer.com or DM us on Twitter at understandsc. Understand South Carolina is a production of The Post and Courier. Our intro music is by Billy Fountain. You can find his music on Spotify. Let us know what you think of the show. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Keep up with the latest headlines at postandcourier.com. We'll be back next week with a different news story from our state. Thanks for listening.